1: my small meager opinion why would you separate that out it's like risk management and emergency management should be married uh, mostly because we should all have hazard mitigation plans which are firmly rooted in what are the risks and what do we need to prepare for
0: hi welcome to EM weekly your emergency management podcast And this week we are talking to Jerusha Cash about where in the chain of command do emergency managers belong. And I've been saying this for a while, that we belong at a director's level, you know, the same as chief of police or the fire chief. You know, we can't get things done sometimes with a wonky chain of command. And, you know, Jerusha, she's been really fighting this fight for a long time and and has written some outstanding, uh, papers on this. And so anyway, it's the old adage, where do we belong in the core chart? And I think this argument is starting to get hotter this summer. So, you know, with the fires up in Sonoma County and, uh, with the ones that were in Butte County here in California, and also, you know, with some of the issues that happened back East where, you know, in some cases the emergency manager was uh, not necessarily, uh, placed in the chain of command properly. So anyway. I want you to hear the interview. Welcome to EM Weekly.
1: Hi, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: So how did you get involved in emergency management?
1: Uh, Great question. I actually was in my master's degree at Portland State University in Portland, Oregon, and um, I my Degree program was, I was working on my master's in criminology and criminal justice systems as a, like a system-wide approach. And uh, I had to do a focus in my master's degree program. And my focus was emergency management courses. And um, I really found a home there and never really looked back um, on the criminology front. I, I do love the science of criminology and the research of criminology, but I just kind of
0: found my spot in emergency management. That's awesome. I, I always love to hear how people found their way to emergency management because our uh, our trips are all different and, and interesting, you know, so that's why I always ask that question. So we had a conversation the other day, and we're talking about where does emergency management sit? And for those that have listened to the podcast for a while, know that I have a, a passion for What I call professionalized emergency management, and and that is really taking emergency management out of the lights and sirens and being completely our own discipline. How did you get passionate about that? And tell me about some of your research and what you're doing now, and who you're speaking to.
1: Uh, Okay, so to answer the first part of that question, um, I got involved in that because. I did not come through, uh, come to higher ed emergency management, uh, through higher ed. I worked for government entities, uh, in different states in the U.S., um, three or four now. And I, because I was affiliated with the government side of it, um, they've been doing it a little longer than higher ed has been doing it, and it kind of worked out some of those bugs. And typically in, um, and i would say in the most efficient emergency management programs but most larger cities or, and communities have emergency managers that report directly to the highest um, elected political official and that the reason for for that is the uh, efficiency by which you can get information and direction in order to lead a response um when you bury an emergency management function in an organization through multiple layers of leadership it presents several pitfalls. Um, and so I've been running around, especially in the higher ed circles, because higher ed, uh, grabbed a hold. Of, and I mean, just in general, nationwide, uh, there was a movement, um, of things happening on campuses, or campuses across the country and outside of the country even, where, um, we were seeing problems, uh, controversial speakers, protests, shooting, things like that, um, outbreaks of illness, which we have right now in California, um, we're seeing those things, and uh, most uh, higher ed organizations are feeling a need by which they needed to have someone manage that, but not really knowing um, how to get that done. They've, you know, I think, they were hearing about emergency managers, that so they stuck function in and stuck it in, you know, in random spots in the organization, not really understanding what that function does and where they should report. So they typically in higher ed, I noticed once I moved from government emergency management into higher ed that I was seeing them all buried in police departments or uh, environmental health and safety departments. And I don't actually, my very first job in Texas in and my first job in higher ed was buried in a police department and it was miserable to say the least. Uh, for multiple reasons. So um, when I took my next job in higher ed, uh, the very first question I ask is, where does this uh, position report in the organization? And they were curious as to why I was saying that. And so I kind of laid it out for them. And I've been doing that nonstop for about the last year and a half, two years, trying to help higher ed organizations have the most effective and efficient emergency management programs out there. And I've kind of narrowed it down to a three-step process, I think, and um, just try and I scream that out every time I'm asked to speak somewhere or uh, we get in conversations um, in the nation. So right now I'm also the Region 6 representative for the Higher Ed um, Emergency Management Group, and I'm constantly nailing this, uh, this issue.
0: Yeah, and and for those of you that are, are listening, that uh, so the International Association of Emer- Emergency Managers, uh, we have what we call the UCC, the Universities and uh, Colleges Caucus, and uh, with that, it, it's it's a group specifically talking about emergency management in higher ed, best practices, what we could do to to be better. Uh, higher ed emergency managers. And I think it's one of the most active uh, groups or caucuses in, um, in IEM, if I'm not wrong. is that, Do you think we're right about that?
1: Uh, I think we're absolutely right. And you know, this doesn't even just have to apply to higher ed. If you work for an organization or a government entity that has buried the emergency management function, I want to be able to give you the tools to talk to your leadership and avoid some of the pitfalls that Happen when you do that, um, and they're miserable for that emergency manager. And in order to have an effective, efficient program, I would argue quite emphatically that you are not going to have that if you bury it in a in a in a program that's siloed for a certain purpose, like law enforcement.
0: You know what I teach. We talk about the fact that with emergency management being that it's a it's fairly new discipline in, in, in the world of, of safety, if you will, and that in a lot of places, it's a collateral duty. It's not even a person who wants to be an emergency manager. They might not have the aptitude to be an emergency manager. Most of them definitely don't have the attitude to be an emergency manager. And we we put it on these, these people who, you know, maybe like duty or, or trying to become a, a a sergeant, if you will, at the police department, or something along those lines, right? And and in that case, I really think it's a disservice to the the residents and to the people that we're serving in our jurisdictions. And I've been I've been on that on that soapbox for a while. What do you think the first step is to moving EM into its own? role um nationwide what can we do do you think as professional emergency managers to to move this ball down the field
1: uh well so that's yeah step one for me is really um it's kind of a two-fold step so one is um educating the leadership of of an organization on what the emergency management function is what do they do so you know and i know but most most People that are given this as other duties as assigned or are not professional emergency managers don't really know that there is uh, a a standard set of capabilities out there by which we emergency managers um, should understand uh, and uh, be able to build in an organization based on the type of organization. And so those capabilities, those 32 core capabilities out there that all emergency managers uh, should know and understand. Um, you know, like two thirds of them have nothing to do with law enforcement at all. And so, when you bury in emergency management, the entire program underneath another program that has a different focus or a largely um, separate focus, you're really kind of doing a disservice for that program because they they have this whole other scope that the supervisor of the organization doesn't have. And and it probably won't buy into when you start building those other capabilities or discussing those other capabilities. So I call that scope narrowing, right? So you take an emergency manager that may not, A, understand what those capabilities are or have ever had training on those, and buried an organization that also does not share that expanded scope and understanding. Now you've just narrowed a focus that really has a focus that's similar to the organization or the group that they're buried under. Um, so you don't end up building capabilities in a broad spectrum in that 32 capability range because you're focused in one area. So that's a huge pitfall. So with step one is having your emergency manager, uh, answer to whoever needs to be making those critical decisions. So, um, one thing I had said before is that, uh, one of the first steps that I've done most recently is to take the leadership of the organization out of all operational um, tactical movements, right? So the leadership of an organization makes policy decisions and pulling them out and helping them develop their own policy level decision-making group by which that information rolls it down to the operational group um, has been really Key to helping divide who makes the open or closed or um, high level policy decisions and then who actually operationalizes those decisions. Most presidents of universities do not um, tell where to station law enforcement for security purposes, but they do say we need to hold a secure perimeter. Um, So making sure that you're educating the leadership of whatever organization you work for, as to what is their role and what is the emergency manager's role. The emergency manager is really a convener of capabilities and systems in order to um, stem the rising tide of a bad thing. So when the bad thing happens, we organize and pull together all those resources to make it get better um, as quickly as possible. And you can't do that if you're buried three or four levels down in the organization because you don't have any authority by which to grab resources and reassess. And further, when one of the most key components of, of managing an incident is situational awareness. And if you are uh, three layers down in an organization and you have information, you now have to share that information with your supervisor and they have to take that information to their supervisor who has to take it to another supervisor. And now you have a childhood game of telephone, right? It, it just does not work well. It's not efficient. Um, and if you were to bypass that organization with, with organizational dotted lines, informal dotted lines, that creates a whole other set of pitfalls for that emergency manager who now has to, once the incident is over, has to go back and report to their supervisor who they just bypassed. It's, it is a real tough management of egos and it, it almost never works well. And if it does work well because you have a really great leader, that leader eventually is going to leave or retire and then you have to deal with a whole other type of leader. And it's, it's literally like a crapshoot.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brock Long just went through that, right? Where he, um, you know, reports to the Secretary of Homeland Security, but then during a disaster, he bypasses her and then goes to the president, which caused some tension between the two of them. You know, um, I mean, and, 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 right. and I was going to say, and, and even that brings that, that means that even at the federal level, at the highest level, um, we're having the same issues with where does the emergency manager belong? And those of us in the, in the circles of EM, we have the conversations, does FEMA belong um, under Homeland Security or should they be their own, um, uh, their own um, uh, office, if you will, like they used to be. So kind of going on the theme of what we're talking about, right? Where does the emergency manager belong? You, you know, you see this again at, at the local levels um, where they are put into fire stations or they're put into um, in the police departments. And then there's various different reporting levels. I've even seen um, in, in one city in Southern California, they are in human resources because that's where risk and safety was. And so the emergency manager is in human resources. So they're all over the place. And one of the things that I've Really proposed is that if we had in California, we have this thing called POST, this is Police Officer Standards and Training P O S T, and I was saying we need to have something along the same lines where if you call yourself an emergency manager, you have to go through some sort of credentialing, uh, a series of classes, kind of uh, maybe like you know the C E M uh, type of thing, and or even just take C E M and make it more robust and um, and use that as our national credentialing. Um, that being said, there's a lot of pushback, people going, oh, well, you know, cities will never want to pay for uh, an emergency manager that has this or whatever, They, you know, small cities. And I look, I go, but we do that with police and fire. We require them to go through an academy. We require them to go through having least basic standards of training, whether it's through, you know, whatever they're going to school or, or or classes. And why can't we do that with emergency managers? Why do you think there's that pushback specifically with the field of emergency management than the other uh, public safety fields?
1: Uh I think they because they largely don't understand the field of emergency management, first of all. And that's That segues perfectly into my step two. Um, first of all, you know, make sure that you, you give the program enough teeth. So you're, you're having it report to the person who makes decisions in a crisis. Whoever that is, when you have a bad thing, who is that lead decision maker? And that's where you want your emergency manager right on their hip to give them information and to be able to delegate authority to lead uh, a response and also to lead all the other things that we do as an emergency manager. We prepare, mitigate, prevent, uh, respond, and recover. So all of that takes um, an entire organization to participate. So there's lots of things to do when there's not a response. But the, the second step is that hire the right emergency manager for your organization. And if you don't understand how to do that, we need to be talking and educating across the nation about how to do that, how to hire that. And what we're really talking about is hiring someone with education and experience, that combination, which is, again, that that credentialing piece. Um, just like we would credential uh, a Type 2 incident commander or a Type 1 incident commander based on their knowledge, training, and efficiency, their ability to show that they can do this, it, the exact same thing is what you should be looking for in an emergency manager. So there are some credentialing programs out there. I am a certified emergency manager through the International Association of Emergency Managers. Um, you're you're going to get what you pay for, which is something else that's on my list. If you're paying $28,000 a year for an emergency manager, you're probably going to get a glorified administrative assistance. Um, You know, emergency managers have to make a living. I'm probably speaking out here unfairly, but let's get real. This is a big job. Emergency management for any size organization is a giant job. Um, It should not be combined with risk management or anything else. It is a full-time job. And if you only have one person in that emergency management job, their coattails are popping 24-7, 350 365 and if you have some sort of large incident anywhere in there you've just thrown them off for six months if there's a recovery piece that comes after that incident you've thrown them off for 18 months so I'm still working on Hurricane Harvey paperwork right now I am an office of 1.5 um, and I've managed offices of many but uh, it will completely throw your program off um, and that that's that's the Fourth problem, which I haven't even discussed, but is making sure that you build the program equal to the amount of work. And I think they just generally don't understand how much work there is to be done in any organization. If you've never had an emergency manager, there is a planning component. There is a training on those plans. There is exercising those plans. There is capability build. There is responding to real events. There is a communication piece. It goes on and on and on, and it is a lot of work.
0: All right, let's take a quick break here for a second, and I want to hear a word from our sponsors. Without them, you know, we can't put on uh, on this program, and I want to thank them. So, let's take a break. Seconds count during an emergency.
1: That's why at Titan HST, we connect people with the latest technology possible, whether it's mesh networking, augmented reality, or real-time translation, allowing people who need help to find help immediately. Better matters because lives matter.
0: Welcome back. Thank you for listening to the sponsors and please reach out to them and let them know that you heard them here. And that, like I said, these guys here are supporting us 100% and I really do appreciate everything that they do for us. So let's go back to the interview. So before we take the break, you're talking about, you, you know, the idea of having not enough staff in the role of emergency management. And I interviewed Kelly McKinney, and he stated that there should be, no matter what size you are, and this is a fantasy for everybody, that there should be at least six people uh, in the in the Office of Emergency Management no matter where you're at. How do we get across to our administrators that there is so much to do and that we really do need them to support what we're doing? What What's the best message that we can give them with their limited time?
1: You know, I've struggled with that over the years and doing that effectively. And I um, I think I'm getting that point across and I've been doing this for 12, 13 years now, but I think I'm finally starting to get that point across. Um, and the best way that I do that is I start drafting a work plan. So usually when, I, and I, I keep getting hired in to build programs from scratch. And so I've kind of got this template that walks around with me now about building programs. But the first thing I do is provide an assessment and I have a five-year plan and I try and have that five-year plan go from zero or very little emergency management functions to full accreditation or could qualify for accreditation. And the first year is really assessment. Where are we with our capabilities? What do we need to build? And just making a list. Here are the things that we need to do that we have not done. And then you build that work plan out. Um, Sometimes it won't work in five years and sometimes it will work in two years. Um, but just helping them understand in order to have a comprehensive program, here is what we need to do. And when you put that all down on a list and then you start d- developing tasks for those lists, their eyes grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because it's tasks that not just one person can do. You have to implement most of those tasks across an entire organization. And it's virtually impossible for you to do that if you are so low in the organization that if you set a meeting, people will decline because they don't think you're important enough to bother with your schedule. So if you want an organization to be involved, you've got to be able to give your emergency manager enough power by which and policy, which is step three for me, is back the program up with the right level of policy. So if you're in the organization and you hire the right person who's a good, qualified, experienced, certified emergency manager, now you've got to give them policy to back up so that everyone in the organization knows it's important to the organization and that there everyone is expected to participate. Because one person cannot stop a bad thing from happening. But we can, as an organization, mitigate together, prepare together, respond together, and recover together. And if you have one person running around an organization of 10,000 people... It's really, really hard to get that level of buy-in when you're buried deep in an organization.
0: So talking about layers, one of the things that you see coming out a lot now, especially in cities, is the idea of the resiliency officer. And I always wonder, what exactly, how do we put that resiliency officer into uh, the, the, the mix with emergency management and you're starting to see more colleges wanting to do something along those lines. And I get it. And I think it's important. Um, but how do we, how do we walk through that fine line of, of, uh, nomenclature?
1: Well, I think resiliency is really just, we're, we're just building preparedness, right? We kind of have that as emergency managers. And if you just bridge the, the idea of what a resiliency officer does they're, they're really building preparedness and the ability to uh, negotiate a bad situation um, with some level of independent success right we expect people to be resilient whether you're a governmental emergency manager or a higher ed emergency manager we want to mitigate how much we have to respond by preparing our organization around us and so you know That's a piece. It has to be done, especially if you're on a college campus. Um, If you're on a college campus like the college campus that I'm on, they are very involved and they want to know exactly what they need to do. Right? Some college campuses aren't like that. They don't even want to hear from you. Either way, I think I'd be more worried about the second one than the first one. But um, you know, it's it's our job to not only prepare plans on what we're going to do if a bad thing happens, but just help ourselves. By preparing everyone around us, the more prepared or resilient our population is, the less we have to individually respond to people. And so when when you were saying someone said we should have at least six people, you know, I I, I would love that, of course, but I, I would be happy with just three people, right? A planner someone who goes out to the population and does preparation and fosters or engenders preparation or resiliency in the population, and, and someone else who's a, a high-speed, low-drag response ninja, you know, someone who really knows how to do that. If you could just start with those areas and then build out from there, every organization has to do those things or should be doing those things. If you're not building resiliency, you're going to have to respond more heavily and your recovery lasts longer. Uh, so it, it's a critical piece that w- I don't care if you call it resiliency or preparation or, or whatever, every program needs to have some of that.
0: Yeah, I, I agree there it as it's kind of funny that this some cities have one specific person who's doing resiliency and It's, it's and I, I always think oh how do we how do we fold them into the family you know how do we keep them uh, in what we're trying to do with our plans and uh, it's another layer that we're talking about here.
1: Yeah you have them report to the emergency manager because it's really a part of the program anyway that's what you do that's I mean in my small meager opinion why would you separate that out? It's like risk management and emergency management should be married uh, mostly because we should all have hazard mitigation plans, which are firmly rooted in what are the risks and what do we need to prepare for? Um, so you know, your risk manager, you and your risk manager should be tied at the hip. You may not be the same program or be reporting, but that, that goes back to step one, right? Where does your emergency manager report? So at some point if your emergency manager is also your person who's running your response. You will have response organizations pop underneath that emergency manager, law enforcement, EMS, maybe even fire. That is if your emergency manager is, is your, is your IC. If you had those groups regularly working together side by side or under the same umbrella, it's a natural flow to go from regular organizational work to response organizational work. It is a very unnatural flow to take that person, pop them at the top of an organization unusually where they have not built relationships of trust and where they have little to no respect from their peers or even someone that you may be be running an event where your supervisor is answering to you. It's extremely uncomfortable and unfair to do to an emergency manager to have that happen.
0: Okay, I'm going to twist a, a little bit here. Um, speaking to your college president or chancellor, um, how do you explain to them that their role in an emergency is, is really the policy group and that they, that they shouldn't be trying to run the tactical and, or, uh, the nuanced response portion of emergency. Yeah, that's that's
1: never easy. Um, but but once I think you, you need to set those parameters um, and the best way I found is just by exercising, right? So we have at Rice University, we have a newly developed crisis management advisory committee and that committee meets on a uh, fairly regular basis. I think uh, twice a year and that there's a twofold purpose there. One is to reiterate, here's your role and let's exercise your role with a, some tabletop information. And the other is, here are the after-action improvement items that we have discovered in the last several events or incidents. Here are the policy-level decisions that we have to have made. And so, that team works on a regular basis on the things that did not go well and the decisions that need to roll out. Um, for example, for Harvey, we had um, some pay policy uh, issues that stemmed out of Harvey. We had a large response. We had um, a lot of water on our campus. And as we were going through the recovery process, we realized that we were paying people different than our pay policy stated. And when it came to recovery, it was, we were having a hard time recovering those funds through our public assistance grant. Uh, so out of that information rolled up an after action item that the policy group needed to decide to make Crisis pay policy decisions on. So once you have them working in that policy arena, uh, it becomes very clear. Usually, they're very smart individuals, which is why they're running the organization. Their role starts to becoming very clear. Okay, I am exercising in the policy decision area, and I'm making you know policy decisions. They start to go, okay, this is my role. This is not my role, and it's just really making sure you're meeting with them frequently enough and bringing the right roles and the right decisions to them. And even in those meetings, being able to say, well, that's an operational decision that's going to happen further down the line. What we need you to decide is, are we going to do this or are we not? And then how is going to be decided somewhere else? And just reinforcing that by meeting with them on a regular basis.
0: You know, I always joke, even at the city level, you take your policy group and you put them as far away from the emergency operations center as possible. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, you really do have to work with your policy group on a regular basis and, and and make sure that they do understand their role. And I think you're absolutely right that you need to drill them um, just like you would anybody else. The hard part is trying to get them to understand how important it is to to be in these drills and that not to send their... Uh, their seconds or their thirds to to sit in for them during our, our exercises.
1: Right. You know, so I do that in, in a regularly established meeting. So they they know they meet X number of times a year. And so I, I capitalize on those meetings by making sure that I'm always driving what their role is home by having them exercise in those meetings they know they're going to always have to be at.
0: Well, I I could talk to you all day about this, but we're getting close to the uh, to the end here, and I have a couple of just standard questions that we ask. So, what book, books, or publication would you recommend to somebody in the field of emergency management?
1: Um, You know, I just finished uh, a crisis decision making um, course at Harvard, and I really liked the. I left a book in my office, but it is crisis leadership, and it's written by Arn Howitt. If I had a known in advance, but I you could I can tell you I can send you an email with a link. But it's uh, crisis leadership, I think is the name of it, and it has a lot of case studies in it. Um, I found it very informative. We the class is great. Uh, we talked to, about a lot of large scale responses and leadership decisions that were made out of it, um, and how to build that leadership skill in emergency manager, anyone actually, um, and how to manage things that are unknown, right? How do we, how do we solve a problem that we've never seen before? Uh, and what steps does that take? I really enjoyed that book.
0: That's a great recommendation. Thank you for that one. And okay. So if you could speak to all of the emergency managers in the world at one time, what would you say to them?
1: I would say, um, One day at a time. So, and what I mean by that is that we're all planners, we're all thinkers, and there's so much to do. It is, it's kind of a stressful job in that there's a lot to do. You know, you have to be efficient at many things and good at many things at one time, but planning comes with one day at a time, building relationships, thinking about things, uh, and just manageable chunks right if you want to eat that proverbial elephant you just take one bite at a time but you're planning what you're going to eat next right you're going to say okay well of course probably sorry for all the vegans that are listening to this but just break down that emergency management function even when it comes to shaking hands just get what you can do done each day Um, i know so many emergency managers that feel so overwhelmed that You know, they just sit and they're chained to their email. You know, they just click in their email and respond to what's in front of them. None of us want to be emergency managers that are just responding to what's in front of us. We we spend, in emergency management, we spend way more of our time and effort building a response capability when we should be firmly rooted in mitigation, right? We should be solving our problem before it becomes a problem so that we deal with very little on the response front nationwide. We are heavy in buying tools and games and fun things and all sorts of response equipment that I think that goes back to, um, it goes back to fire and police, not true trained emergency managers, but p- prior responders being plopped in an emergency management function in in that we just spend the grant dollars and and money that we have on response tools because that's what they did but we should be spending the bulk of our time and our money on that upstream thinking solving the problem before it becomes a problem and doing that one day at a time
0: that is great absolutely well thank you so much for your time today Uh, i'd love to have you on because this conversation is definitely not over I, i think that what we're doing here is great and thank you for for picking up the mantle and and being that, that champion
1: hey you're welcome thanks so much for having me on it's been a pleasure